It's good to have you here this morning on this, this Bluegrass Sunday. It's always a, the transition from bluegrass and high, fast pace to, to preaching is always a, um, a little bit of a challenge. But, you know, something Keith asked us at the beginning of worship is uh, describe your life before Jesus and after Jesus. And, and I hope you think about that some more. What was it like before? For me, the word I used was messy. That was my life before Jesus. But praise the Lord, I saw the light. Life after Jesus and with Jesus um, gives me purpose. So I'm not sure what the two words you use, but, uh, but think about that this week as you, as you go through your week and the beauty of knowing Jesus and how Jesus has transformed my life and taken it from being a, a messy life to being a life of purpose or whatever. The two words are that you chose this morning. You know, we're uh, in Hebrews chapter 12 this morning in this study in Hebrews. Last week in, in Hebrews chapter 11, uh, we saw uh, a list of names of men and women who, who gave up everything to follow God. Now, they didn't follow him because they knew where the journey would take them, but they followed because they knew and trusted the God who invited them into this journey. They had faith. They, they, they took risk. And because of their faithfulness, God used them all in a mighty way. Some of them God used to conquer kingdoms and others to, to administer justice and, and to rout foreign armies. And some, some were flogged. Some, it says, were sawn in two. And yet, they were all commended for their faith, for, for, for how God used them, how they allowed God to use them. And they were faithful. Now here in Hebrews chapter 12, the writer says, Therefore, because of what I've just told you about and, and because of remembering those who came before you, therefore, he says, since we are surrounded by such a great cloud of witnesses, let us throw off everything that hinders and the sin that so easily entangles and let us run with perseverance, the race that is marked out for us. And let us fix our eyes on Jesus, the author and protector of our faith, who for the joy before him endured the cross, scorning shame, and sat down at the right hand of the throne of God. He said, consider him who endured such opposition from sinful men, so that you do not grow weary and lose heart. So here in chapter 12, he is encouraging the believers in the church that he's writing to who are facing persecution, who are, who are feeling the pressure to go back. And remember, th this whole letter to, the, to this church was, was to Hebrew believers who had come out of Judaism who were facing fierce persecution and they were wanting, being tempted to go back. And he says, look, here are your heroes of the faith. Here are those who came before you. He says, run this race that is before you. 
Remember them. God has a plan for you. He's got a a race marked out for you. And he says, keep your eyes on Jesus. He is our ultimate example. These these heroes of the faith, these men and women who, who joined God in the journey he invited into, we need to look at them and be blessed by them and be encouraged and challenged by them. But, but ultimately, he says, look at Jesus. He is your ultimate example. Jesus, who was willing to come to this earth, who was willing to endure humiliation on the cross, look to him so that you don't get tired in this race. Remember when you made your profession of faith in Christ, you began to be persecuted by your friends. And, and that was the thing. So, so these believers, they made their profession in Christ. They made a choice to follow him. And when they made a choice to follow him, it cost them, it cost them everything. It cost them oftentimes their families. It cost them their friendships. It cost them their jobs, and at times it cost them their lives. And as they, were, as they were going through this journey, facing all of these obstacles, they, they began to miss their friends. You know, they began to miss the temple that, that they had been going to. They began to miss all the things that had been such a big part of their whole lives. I mean, they were trying to give their undivided attention to Christ. But then there was the persecution. There 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 was a family that cut them off, and, and that old life began to look more and more attractive. You know, most of us don't understand what they were going through. We don't understand that following Jesus costs us friendships. We don't understand that following Jesus costs us family. Some of you do. But this costs them everything. And and as they follow him, I wonder what would my response be if it cost me everything? Would Would I think about turning back? Going back to, to that old lifestyle? And maybe some of you this morning, you're thinking about going back. What the author says is, no. He says, don't go back. He says, keep your eyes focused on Jesus. Let go of that old stuff and, and look to Jesus. Keep your eyes focused on him. Jesus is all you need. Keep your eyes on him. Get in the race and run hard. It is really his message to them. Get in the race and run hard. And we, we see then in, in chapter, in, in verses 4 to 11, 
as they identify with Christ, it's hard, but they have to keep in mind that that, that, that God's love is greater than, than this hard things are going. And, and he begins to talk about discipline, about them being disciplined, that, that these things that they're going through really are, are discipline from God. And, and that's hard for me to understand. But it says in verse 10, it says, Our fathers disciplined us for a little while, while they thought as they thought best, but, but God disciplines us for our good that we may share in his holiness. And he says, no discipline seems pleasant at the time, but painful. Later on, however, it produces a harvest of righteousness and peace for those who have been trained in it. So it, it, it seems like, or, or it's evident that, that this discipline that they were going through, God was allowing to happen, and it was for their good. Now, some of you can relate with that. You, you've, you've, said, you've felt the discipline from God, and it feels unfair at times. You know, there, there, um, there's corrective discipline that we see in Scripture. You know, David faced corrective discipline for, for his sin with Bathsheba. David says in the Psalms, he says, It was good for me to be afflicted so that I may learn your decrees. So sometimes we, we cause our own messes and, and, and we reap the consequences. God allows us to reap the consequences and we're disciplined for it. We see what I call preventive discipline in the scriptures with Paul. Remember Paul in, in 2 Corinthians, he said in, in 2 Corinthians chapter 12, verse 7, he says, to keep me from becoming conceited because of these surpassing great revelations, there was given to me a thorn in my flesh, a messenger of Satan to torment me. Three times it says, Paul pleaded, for the Lord to take it away. And yet he says, but God said, Jesus said, my grace is sufficient for you, Paul, for you, for my power is made perfect in weakness. Then Paul says, therefore I must boast more gladly about my weaknesses so that Christ's power may rest on me. Paul was facing some sort of discipline. And he says that, I can boast in that weakness. I can boast in that discipline because Christ's power rests on me. And Job faced discipline. And Job said, my ears had heard of you, but now my eyes have seen you. So, so we see throughout Scripture that, that God uses discipline in various forms, to draw us closer to himself and to grow us up spiritually. And God uses these hard things that we go through to mold us. Now, when, we're, when we are struck with a sickness or some other thing, we lose a child we lose a spouse, 
it doesn't feel much like molding. But, but what God's word says is, is these things that we, that we go through in life, God allows to strengthen us. And the author of Hebrews says, then he says, look, these, these hard things you're going through, he says that in verse 12, he says, therefore, strengthen your feeble arms and your weak knees, make, make level for your feet so that the lame may not be disabled, but rather be healed. He says, because of this discipline, what he's saying, because of this, this discipline, this is how you're to respond to that. You're not to cower, you're not to fall back, but you're to stand up and be strengthened. You're going to have problems, he says, but, but, but these problems, they're, they're nothing to worry about because God is using them to strengthen you, to build spiritual muscle. So don't allow this weight that's, that's coming down on you, this persecution that's coming upon you, friends rejecting you, family rejecting you. Don't allow these weights to collapse you, but, but they're meant to strengthen and encourage you, to build you up. Don't get tired in the race. Don't get weary, Christian. And I'm sure some of you are sitting here this morning, you're saying, but Dwayne, you don't understand. You, you don't understand, and, and you're right. I don't. I just know that God's word promises that when we go through these challenges, that he will strengthen us. And not only will he strengthen us, he'll make us better. And he says, if I keep my eyes focused on Jesus, then there's no reason for me to get tired and to run out of gas. He says, lift your arms high. Lift your, uh, lift, pump those weak knees. Get moving. Because these things are to strengthen you. What he's really saying in this verse is, get your second wind as you go through these hard things. And these Hebrew Christians, maybe like you, were getting tired. And, and, and they, were, they, were, they were giving in. They, they were collapsing with exhaustion because of the things they were going through. And yet the writer says, look, keep your eyes focused on Jesus. Don't fall apart. You guys need each other. Because it was taking its toll. And that's why I think back in, in Hebrews chapter 10 and verse 24, he says, let us, continue, let us consider how we may spur one another on towards love and good deeds. That's what the body of Christ is all about, is when we're going through hard things, when we're dealing with things that we think are going to, to do us in, that are, are, are going to collapse us. It's when we turn to the body and we as a body encourage and lift each other up, spur one another on. Because we can't do this on our own. You can never go through a hard thing on your own. And when you're not going through a hard thing, your responsibility as part of the body is to lift up those who are going through hard things. The 
right? Just keep your eyes focused on Jesus. Lift up your arms. Get those legs moving. There's work to do. They needed to be encouraged. I need to understand that, that it's not always going to be easy. But, but just because things aren't easy doesn't mean that you turn back to, to what was. Because even though it's hard, Jesus is still better than what you came from. Strengthen your feeble arms and weak knees. This discipline isn't meant to to weaken you. It's meant to strengthen you. You know, when you you get ready, uh, when you're wanting to do an event... um, and every year I make it my goal to, to run a 5K. And, and the only reason I don't do that because I love running. Because I really don't. It's kind of painful. But I know that if I set a goal to run a 5K, I know that I need to do training in order to prepare myself for that race. And so I, get, I need to get out there and I need to on a regular basis be abusing my muscles and running. And I need to be allow my muscles to feel pain. I need to allow my body to feel pain because that's the only way I'm going to be prepared for that 5K is if I allow my body to go through pain. And if I don't prepare well, then it's not going to go well as was evident in the 5K I ran a few weeks ago. It was evident that lots of people put their muscles through a lot more pain than I did because they were way better than I was. But we need to, we need these hard things we go through are to help build muscle, to make us stronger. And he says, lift your arms. Lift those weak knees. Don't drag. Get with it. And these things we go through, they're training for what God has for us and the things he's inviting us into. Make straight paths for your feet, he says in verse 13. And what he means by that, if, if you can get a picture of, 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 a, of a running track, there are lanes on a running track. And what he's saying is, is stay in your lane. Don't waver. Don't go to this lane or that lane. Stay focused on Jesus and stay in your lane and keep going. Follow the course that God has set out for you. Remember in verse 1, in, in, the, in the first three verses, he's got a race marked out for you. And what he's saying here is stay on the course. Don't allow other things around you to, 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 to capture your attention where you get off course. Stay with him. Follow his course for your life. The Apostle Paul in Philippians chapter 3, verse 14, he says, Forgetting what is behind and straining for what is ahead, I press toward the goal for the prize for which God has called me heavenward in Christ Jesus. Every one of us 
has a course set out for us. God has a plan for each one of us. We have to choose whether we stay in the lane and we stay the course or not. He says, make your path straight. Stay in your lane. Run a smooth, clear, straight path. The path God has set for you. Then he says, make, your, make, your, make level paths for your feet, in verse 13, so that the lame may not be disabled, but rather healed. And, and the term that he's using here is a term in, in, in the Greek that means the tracks left by wheels. So as you're running your race, he says, look, leave tracks. Leave straight tracks. You see, we're all leaving a pattern for someone to follow. Dads, moms, your children are following the path that you are on. He says, make sure that's the right path. Because you're leaving a pattern, Christian, for somebody to follow. Do you catch that? You're leaving a path. The way you're living your life is leaving a pattern for someone else to follow. And it's whoever's watching you. Who's watching you? Who's checking out your way of living? Because the way that you live, what he's saying is, look, We're supposed to provoke each other to love and good deeds, and we're to run this straight straight path because not only does it affect me, but, but, but it affects other people. It affects other people. And, and, and Paul says, he says, continue to run like so that I may obtain the prize. So we run to obtain the prize, but we also run because people are watching. And maybe, just maybe, the things, the way that you live your life at school or at work, in your home, maybe the thing that thing that brings someone to Christ. You ever thought about that? You see, people are watching you. You say I'm a Christian. You say I go to church every week. So people are watching. 
They're watching how you live life. They don't care that you go to church. They're watching your life. So the way that I live my life may be the thing that brings someone to Christ, but it also may be the thing that gives them the excuse to walk away from Christ. If that's the way a Christian lives, why would I want to be a Christian? You and I are billboards advertising Christ. What does your billboard say? What does your life say about following Christ? You know, Jesus tells us in Matthew chapter 5, he says, You are a light of the world. A city on a hill cannot be hidden. Neither do people light a lamp and put it on the bowl. Instead, they put it on a stand and it gives light to everyone in the house. And he says, in the same way, Christian, let your light shine before men so that they may see your good deeds and glorify your Father in heaven. Live your life in such a way that other people will glorify God. That's a pretty serious statement. Does my life glorify God? Is my path that people see, is my path worth following? Or is my path leading people in a direction that they shouldn't be going? Dads, what's most important to you as your children watch you? Moms, what's most important to you? Not what you say, but the path that you are leaving. They're watching. And he says in verse 14, he says, make every effort. And this is, I think, what people are watching. He says, make every effort to live at peace with all men and to be holy. Because without holiness, no one will see the Lord. Make every effort, it says, strive for peace. Pursue holiness, it says. We're called to radiate Christ. We do that by loving men and loving God. You know, Jesus told us in John 13, 35, this new command I give you to love one another. As I have loved you, so you must also love one another. Then he says this, he says in verse 35, by this all men will know that you are my disciples. By what? By the way you love one another. That's us. That's us. How are we loving one another? 
how are we loving one another? Because Jesus says that the world that is watching us will know that we are his disciples just by seeing the way we love each other or not. So he says, strive for peace. Make every effort to live in peace with all men. And it doesn't say men who are easy to live at peace with. It doesn't say the nice people. It says all men, and not all men are nice, not all men are friendly, not all people are easy to love, but it says live at peace with all. Now Paul says as much as it is dependable upon you in Romans, Love for men, love for God is what we're to strive for. Jesus prayed, Father, in John 17, I pray that they will be one in the world and the world may know that you sent me. They will recognize Christ by the way that we love and care for each other. By the way I live at peace with people and by the way I pursue holiness with God. So as we run this race, the writer explains, he says, it's about loving, being at peace with men, it's about having holiness before our God. And he says in verse 15, see to it that no one misses the grace of God. And that no bitter root goes, grows up. Be careful that you don't miss this. The grace of God is the most wonderful thing that, that the world has ever been given. It's a great opportunity. It's a glorious opportunity to be saved from sin and death and spend eternity, to live eternally beginning today with Jesus. But note the warning. He says, be careful that you don't miss it. You see, it's an opportunity. It's not automatically given to us. God doesn't force it upon us. God wants us to live with him in relationship from now through all of eternity. But we make that choice. And one of the dangers is that we we grab onto the church and we say the church is our salvation. Or we grab onto baptism and say because I was baptized or, or because I'm a good person or because I perform religious acts like, like show up for church on Sunday mornings. But the writer says don't miss the grace of God. Don't miss the real thing which is receiving Christ and making him Lord and Savior of my life. These other things are a part of that, but they're a result of not what brings you to. So he says, don't miss this grace of God that's being offered to you and don't allow a root of bitterness to grow up in you. Don't allow bitterness to take root because this bitterness can be devastating. And I think possibly one of the reasons that, that the writer is, is, is warning them about bitterness is because of, because of all the hard things they've 
faced, all the, 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 the nasty things people have done to them, rejected them from their families, kicked them out of the temple, kicked them out of their work. And he's saying, look, be careful that you don't allow those things, the things that people have done to you to cause you to be bitter. Because bitterness leads to an attitude that eventually controls us. Bitterness imprisons us. Bitterness damages our hearts and makes so that we can't love people the way that, that, our, that we've been created to love people. We can't live at peace. And bitterness typically comes from hurts that we've experienced from individuals or circumstances that, that wound us, that, that eventually lead to bitterness because we don't take them to the cross. We don't give them to Jesus. And therefore, a root of bitterness grows up within us. And look, all of us have been damaged in one way or another. But it's what we do with that damage. It's what we do with the people that have hurt us and the circumstances that hurt us that will determine whether I or not I will become bitter. The way I resolve bitterness is, is I forgive people. I take the hurts and pains that have been imposed upon me and rather than internalizing them and, and trying to take care of them myself, I fix my eyes on Jesus and I run to the cross with those hurts and pains and I give them to him because he said that we're supposed to. He says we're supposed to, to cast all of our cares on him. And when I cast all of my cares upon him, I allow him to heal me. When I take my past experiences and give them to Jesus, he is able to bring healing. And when I receive healing, he is able to lead me to a better future. And it enables me to live at peace with all men and to pursue holiness with God. He will take your pain from the past and heal it if you allow him to. And some of you are sitting here this morning carrying pain from the past, carrying years and years and years of hurt. And you're imprisoned by this thing of bitterness. And what I want to I ask you and encourage you to do this morning is, is take, those, take those wounds, take that pain, and run to Jesus. I remember years ago when Verda and I did this with, with John Regeer out in Colorado Springs. It is the most freeing thing that you will ever, ever do. It transforms you. And the things that Satan meant for evil in your life, God will make something good out of it. If I allow him to. So, as people watch us run this race, 
Remember to stay in your lane, to, to keep your eyes focused on Jesus. And as they see us running this race, and they see us having our eyes fixed on Jesus, and they see even as we've been persecuted, even as we've gone through hard things, harder than we can ever handle on our own, they see us running this race with endurance. As they watch us, we make Christ attractive. As they watch us, we make Christ attractive attractive as they see us love people and love God Jesus will be glorified he will be attractive because they see Jesus in us brothers and sisters we're called to let our light shine upon men so that they may see our good deeds and ultimately glorify our Father in heaven. My encouragement to you is, is, man, run this race, this exciting race of Christianity, this exciting race of following Jesus, following him passionately, throwing off that, all those things that hinder us, and focus our eyes on Jesus and run Run hard, run passionately, run free, and you will glorify him. You will glorify him. And that's ultimately why we live our lives the way we do. Not to bring glory to ourselves, but to bring glory to Jesus. Will you run the race with me? Let's pray. Father, As we run this race, I pray this morning that each one of us, Lord, I don't know where all of us are at. I know there um, are people struggling with, with health issues and, and, and struggling with marriages and struggling with children. Father, would we do through your Holy Spirit what you invite us into and to fix our eyes on Jesus? And Lord, that we would allow you to take this hard thing that we're experiencing and as we run the race, as we pump our arms and, and lift our knees and people see us running the race, may you be glorified. Give us the strength. Give us the courage to run this race that is marked out for us. And help us to see Jesus. And help us to show Jesus so that you would be glorified. It's in Christ's precious and holy name that I pray. Amen.